This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 712, and a conversation with Fabian Nicieza. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 712. It's another conversation with Fabian Nisiesa as we talk uh, specifically about a very uh, particular period in his career. Um, actually, I originally reached out to Fabian to talk about his work on Spider-Man Lifeline, uh, which was a short-lived, well, not a short-lived series. It was a miniseries, a three-issue miniseries in 2001. Uh, it was all about kind of a sequel to the original Stone, Top, Stone Tablet saga back in Amazing Spider-Man uh, back when Stanley was writing it uh, with John Jameter Jr. on art. Um, it's a very classic storyline. It was even adapted into the Spider-Man animated series in the 90s um, with having the Tablet of Time in that one. Um, so it was kind of revisiting a very old idea at that point, or an old storyline, um, and it was done with amazing art by the uh, the fantastic Steve Rude. Um, so it was I reached out to him to specifically to talk about that as, as it is in trade paperback but we actually talked about a lot of different things in terms of uh, Fabian's career we spent a lot of time in that kind of 2001 period talking about X-Men Forever and Thunderbolts and a few other things so I had a, a lot of a lot of fun having this conversation with Fabian uh, he's always a fantastic guest uh, even if you listen to him on other podcasts he always has just a, such a great perspective and has some great stories and it's just a, a very candid and um, very fresh perspective to take i think and and again it always feels like you're really getting the unvarnished truth he doesn't couch things he just kind of says the way they are and um it always just feels very honest and frank and you know and he'll say good things and bad things about his own career and it just always feels um there's a, a real sense of authenticity in everything he says so if it's been on my show or on other shows uh, he's just such a fantastic guest to listen to just to hear him spin yarns uh, and really that's what he got to do here so that was really uh, a great co- time to have him back on the show this is actually his third appearance uh, he was previously on episodes 262 and 312 um actually i didn't even think about that so he was on 400 episodes ago that sounds crazy um so actually it was october 8th 2015 so almost four years later fabian is back on the comic shenanigans podcast uh you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com rate and review the show on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on stitcher without further ado let's jump right into the conversation as i sit down with fabian Nisiesa. enjoy Fabian, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you, Adam? I'm good, I'm good. It's been a few years, but I appreciate you coming back, and we're talking about something relatively specific today. We're talking about Spider-Man Lifeline, but before we actually get into it, I'm curious, um, what, how did you first read the original uh, you know, uh, tablet saga uh, back in Amazing Spider-Man? I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure I had at least one of the issues during the course of that run. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm an old man, so I, I mean, I had one of those issues from having originally purchased it uh, off the newsstand during that run. Um, I, I, I probably had more than one. What happened is, um, oh yeah, I definitely did. I had 60, 68, 69. We, we got Spider-Man. We tried to get Spider-Man almost every month. But when I moved from New York City to New Jersey, my mom threw out uh, a small box of comics my brother and I had uh as part of the moving thing, she just chucked it. And, and it was whatever comics we'd bought since we'd gotten to this country in like 67. Six, we came to this country in 66. We probably started buying comics in late 66. Um, 
so 67 is when I really start to remember it uh, at this point. I'm not even six years old yet, though. Um, but I remember the visuals. Um, my brother would read the, read the stories to me, and I'd practice because we were learning English. Um, so I know I had 68 and um, 69 because I remember the covers, uh, the, the Crisis on Campus and definitely the Kingpin cover. Mm. Um and then did I have any of the others? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had the um, I had 71 because my mom bought that for me uh, on a day I was sick from school with the flu. And she she asked me if I, I, she could get me anything when she ran out to the store. And I, I said a comic book. So she got me. A, and I said a Spider-Man comic book. Um, <laughs> and she's just a woman who barely knows any English at this point. So she still got me a Spider-Man comic book. And it was uh, 71. I still have that one, I think. Um and did I have a shocker issue too? Oh, I definitely had the shocker issue. And then I ended up getting that again in a really crappy condition at like a flea market. Um, so I, I have 71 and 72 still um, in, from my original collection. Yeah, so uh, we were getting Spider-Man as much as we could. Um, and so, so I had a bunch of the originals. So I never knew the entire story growing up, but but I knew, I knew aspects of it. Um, and then when I... When we started talking about the job, um, I'm pretty sure I just got photocopies of, of the different issues so that I could catch up and read the whole thing. So I'm, I'm curious of how the, the job even kind of came to be at all because, I mean, this is 2001. It's over 30 years since the original storyline kind of first happened. So I'm, I'm curious what the genesis of that was and how you were kind of brought in or if it was your, your idea to start. i got to be honest with you. I, I, I don't exactly remember um i just re i just before the call before we started this i just flipped through the trade paperback that marvel put out a year ago um and i read ralph ralph macchio's uh, introduction and and his his recollection of the flow isn't i don't know if that's my recollection of the flow but i gotta be honest with you i don't have a great recollection of the flow um i i started writing for marvel again in in late 98 after having been at acclaimed comics for a few years um and I knew, and Steve Rude had already done one, he'd done a Hulk Superman one shot, I think, and I believe he had done, a, did he do the Thor miniseries before the Spider-Man miniseries? Um, Not sure. I knew that they were, that, that, that they wanted Rude, Rude wanted to do some work with them and Marvel wanted to work with Rude, so they were, they were, they were just doing these short little series, um, and, and a lot of it was Steve driving it, and I think they would offer him a writer to work with, and then he'd, he'd either talk to the writer or, or, or look at the writer's history and body of work and then approve it. Um, I don't remember if Ralph started those series working with Rude or if he inherited it. Um, I honestly don't remember if Ralph asked me to write it or if, if I'd been asked already, I'd already talked to Rude and so Ralph kind of inherited it. Mm. Um, I, I really don't remember the flow of that. Um, I just, I just remember that, um, that, that I, I, I wanted to get a chance to work with Rude and I, I, he was, he was driving the stories, he was driving the series. So it, for me, it was really, just getting to work with them was something I'd be willing to accommodate, um, you know, and seed a lot of story and, and plot um, uh, directions. Um, 
I don't think Rude didn't want to do the Lifeline tablet necessarily. I don't think it was his idea. I think I'm pretty sure I presented it to him. I, I just thought it was an interesting uh, story that could be followed up on. But but he was all for it because he 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 clearly wanted the series to be throwbacks to the Silver Age, and th- this was absolutely you know a Silver Agey story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty sure that. I had the breakdown of the idea. I knew that I could use it to expand it out to other Marvel Universe characters, which Rude would want to draw. Um, and and then and then it was just a matter of breaking down the story. Um, and I'm pretty sure I remember doing it in relatively rougher outline form than I normally would, because because Steve was going to have a lot of input on stuff he did or didn't want to do on things he did or didn't agree with uh characters he did or didn't want to draw you know um and 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 i was totally comfortable approaching it that way with him you know i i I certainly have a very healthy ego but there there comes times when you have to you know realize that your pond scum in comparison to the <laughs> goblet of champagne that you're getting to work with. Um, and I certainly feel that way about Steve's work. <laughs> so just, just how, when you're, when you're breaking it down and working with, with Steve, like what was your collaborative process and how much Marvel style was, was it compared to other things you were working on at the same time? Oh, it was more Marvel style than the usual Marvel style. Um, I, I prefer Marvel style in my writing. I basically spent the fifth, first 15 years of my career as a Marvel style writer and the next 15 years of my career having to work full script. Um, so it's been a pretty good split between the two, and I absolutely prefer Marvel style. So um, I, I was working platform back then already. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't kind of forced to work full script until around 2004, I think, mm. when I started working on Cable and Deadpool. Um, but but at that time, I, I don't even know if Jemis was president of Marvel yet at that time, and he's the one who really started to kind of dictate a lot of that stuff. Um, so I was I was my my normal plots would probably have been around five to six pages. Um, with Steve, I was doing just um, what I used to call scene synopsis. Um, when I had to do a lot of work for Marvel, when I was writing like six books a month, and I also had a full time job. Um, uh, I, I was trying to figure out shortcuts from a time standpoint, which would enable me not to have to go through too many drafts of things. Um, and Mark Grinwald suggested I try doing a scene synopsis before I break down a plot. And that was usually like a two-page thing, which basically broke down every scene in the story and then assigned a rough approximate page count to it. So scene one, Spider-Man, blah, 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 pages one through five. Scene two, two-page cutaway to blah, 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 you know. Um, <coughs> so... I'm pretty sure I, I, the way I worked on, on Lifeline is that I sent Steve the, the scene synopsis and and let him really bounce a lot of his thoughts off of me. And I basically incorporated those into what would become the plot. Um, so it wasn't like he, he was getting a plot that I'd already broken down fully and, and, and then inputting on it. Um, he was inputting really in the drafting of the story stage. Um, and I and I think that worked very very well for his interests and, and for the things he wanted to try to do. Um, and and he had a lot of input into the story. So it, it probably I don't know if it was storyteller co credits, but it probably should have been because he was he was probably adding as much to the plot as I was. Uh, the dialogue was pretty much all me. Um, I, I think he did a lot of little 
border notes and border dialogue. I might have used a couple things sprinkled here or there, but um, he's a writer and most of them, I mean, he's an artist and most of them are cowardly and superstitious a lot. So <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, I'm only going to use their writing to a certain extent. Um, most of it usually just to appease them. Um, so, so, you know, that's how we did it. Then he would just do layouts um, off of the plot, but he already inputted so much into it that I think that he was very comfortable with whatever it was that he had to lay out. Um, and, and then I would dialogue it off of his pencils. What is, I mean, obviously when you're doing it that way, there's a certain degree of kind of not problem solving per se, but, you know, kind of figuring out how do you integrate kind of the idea for the story on what you're given. Do you like that challenge? Do you find that more interesting? I like that challenge depending on who it is that's challenging me. That's a good um, point. <laughs> I, I, I worked that way quite a bit with Steve Scross on Gambit for the first year I wrote Gambit. Steve was incredibly involved in the the plotting stage, but the way Steve preferred to do it is I would write a whole plot and then he'd just do whatever the hell he wanted. <laughs> and as long as I got to, as long as he gave me point A and point Z, then then I'd have to figure out everything he was doing in between. But he was giving me my beginning and he was giving me my end. So after a few issues of that, I got pretty comfortable just giving him like guideposts that he would then do whatever the hell he wanted in between. And a lot of that is because he was he was drawing Gambit as if he was directing little mini-movies, and his storyboards were ridiculously thrilling and exciting and, and complex movement and a lot of detail of work, and um, so I let him go because it was the way to get the best work out of him. Um, and, and I thought it made for a very kinetic and fun comic book, too. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so so I was, uh, I was okay with that. Um, same thing with Steve. I, I've worked with other, like Kevin McGuire, I'm going to work with that way because I have a, an inherent trust in his storytelling sensibilities. And I also know that some artists need to, need to be given that leeway in order to keep themselves enthusiastic and, and in order to get them to want to do the work. And that's what's going to generate the, the pages. Because some of these guys we're talking about, they they often are slower at producing work if they feel inhibited or restricted or unenthusiastic about the, the project they're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the last thing in the world I want to do is try to slow Kevin McGuire down or try to slow Steve Rude down. Um, these guys are pretty meticulous and they take a long time to begin with. Uh, so I'll do whatever is necessary to get the pages out of them. Um, and, and if that means they get to draw a lot of what they want to draw and I, I have to write my script or or, or cater my story to that, that's fine. I'm fine with that. You know, I, I, will, I won't do that for every Joe Schmo, but we're not talking about Joe Schmoes. The names I'm throwing out there are, are some truly, truly magnificent comic book artists, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so so with Steve, it, 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 was, it was a given. I mean, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had a book to write if Steve Rude didn't want to do projects at Marvel. This was a Steve Rude publishing venture as far as I was concerned. 
Um, so, so I was there to try to facilitate the, the, the successful creation of that. <laughs> I wanted to get it. I wanted to have it be fun and I wanted to get it done so that it could be released because artists like Steve Root sometimes can get lost in the woods and you'll never see the release of it. It'll take two years to get finished or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But Steve drew his ass off, man. He was, he was on time. The, the, the schedule was tight. Everybody did their jobs. Um, I, I don't have many negative recollections of the series because it was a very positive experience. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to be aping Stan Lee style. Uh, I don't necessarily want to be over overemphasizing the Silver Age stick, but but that's something that Steve wanted, and that's something that Ralph wanted. Um, so so I, I I went ahead and did it. I don't want to mimic Stan's writing style. I, I got I got my own shtick that I've always done. I got my own style that I try to do, which is thematically respectful to how to what Stan did, without necessarily purposefully looking to copy it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but but in this particular case, on this particular series, I understood that that was expected of me, and I, I don't, I can't do it like Tom DeFalco can, you know. Um, but 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 I can certainly, you know, give it my shot, and that's what I did. Which reading it now is interesting. Interesting to read it eighteen years after publication because it does have. It very much has a timeless quality to me. Like it doesn't feel like it's obviously the art style is is it being kind of a, a gentler time maybe, but it feels uh, the writing contemporary enough that it doesn't feel like it's sandwiched at any specific moment in time. And and if like even reading it, I was like, oh yeah, this is what's going on in the Spider-Man continuity at the time. But you so lightly kind of make reference to it in such a way that it never feels off-putting. So even though at the time Mary Jane was thought to be dead and you had, you know, Peter kind of floundering a little, it never felt overtly, you know, in the now. It felt very timeless and so that when you read it in this in this collection that it's in now, um, it feels very evergreen. I appreciate that. When I when I got the book, I, I looked at the collection a while ago, and it, it it almost felt of a complete piece to me. It really did. So I, I actually felt good about that. It made me feel like I'd, I'd done my job. I hadn't looked at the series in like 15 years at least um, when I got the trade paperback. And when I read it, I, I, I felt... I felt, wow, this is this is a, like a pretty seamless continuation of the original story in, in tone and style without being an exact duplicate. We're not tracing John Romita's artwork or anything like that. Um, but but uh, it, it made me feel good when I read it. Um, I, I did enjoy it. I, I liked it. It was a fun book. I, I, I like writing Spider-Man any chance I get. Uh, I, I always have. And I think any time I've gotten to write him, I've done a pretty good job with him. Um, but, but for me, it was always... Anytime I look at the book, quite honestly, for me, the memory is is of looking at Steve Root's pencil pages. That's what it was before it was inked, before it was colored. Um, just looking at his pencil pages and and always being blown away by by just how ridiculously talented an artist and storyteller he is. Um, it, it even loses something in translation from inks to colors to printing. Um, Bob Wyacek is a great inker and always has been a great inker, and he did a really excellent job on Steve, but Steve's pencils have this just magical <laughs> softness to them that, that, is, that just completely draws you in. Um, it, it, in some ways, although their art styles aren't at all similar, it reminds me of working with Kevin McGuire. Kevin's pencil pages, no matter who's inking them or who's coloring them, they'll never they'll never equal. You know, the final product will never equal what his pencil pages look like. Um, and, and I felt the same way about Steve's work. 
when when you get those penciled pages in and then you see like his take on Submariner or Doctor Strange which feels so pitch perfect to you know kind of the original conception yeah. of the characters like how does that j- kind of jazz you up as a writer to be able to put words into this version of this character which looks so much like the originals uh, it, it, I, I, I enjoy it a lot I, I, I like that he balanced a little bit of costume updating with with a, a true spirit of the, the 60s look you know um, his boomerang and his eel and that stuff is all tweaked but his kingpin his, his hammerhead his Namor his Doctor Strange all look like they could have been pulled right out of a 60, 1969 book or something like that um I, I I really you know I really enjoyed it. I, I had no problem with it. I, I'm I, I'm a, a product of the comics of the late '60s through the '70s. Um, all the cool stuff that was happening in the early '80s, I was already in college or out of college by then, you know. So for me, the 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 kid button and the teen button is pushed by stuff from the late '60s and the, the early to mid '70s, you know. And for the and I, I always say that that that's the true emotional core resonating time period in your life as a reader, mm-hmm. uh, roughly between the ages of, of ten and sixteen. But but there's also this 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 button you're pushing if you're if you're able if you're fortunate enough to be able to remember what you were reading when you were eight or seven eight or nine uh and that that for me was the late marvel stuff in the 60s jack you know jack kirby and stan on ff and 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 stan with with john ramita jim mooney and john buscema on spider-man uh he, you know the when the silver surfer book launched with with stan and uh and and John Buscema, mm-hmm. a bunch of Captain America stuff that I got back then too, and I started reading Avengers like in '68 and getting it regularly like in '68. Um, I stopped getting Spider-Man regularly and started getting Avengers in <laughs> late '68 because I decided for the amount of money I was spending, it was twelve cents. I wanted more heroes, um, <laughs> so I got Avengers. Um, but but so for me it was a it was one of those nostalgia projects which was a positive it wasn't a negative sometimes for me nostalgia projects are a negative um, but but this was a positive nostalgia project for me I, I I really enjoyed it from start to finish Ralph is when Ralph wants to be he's probably one of the best editors in comics uh, he was one of the best story and writing editors in comics when he wants to be um, he, he often didn't want to be but, but when he did when he did he was excellent and and when he's interested in a project and and it, and it tickles his fancy then then he, he he devotes attention and respect and time to it um, and he did with this project because he was very happy with the art and he was very happy with what I was doing with the writing and and it wasn't just a matter of like giving it a rubber stamp it, it, it was it was giving me some assistance in maintaining tone and and trying not to push myself too much into the the the, the, this attitude and tone of the dialogue and especially the captions and thought balloons um, because I wasn't I wasn't a caption heavy writer at that point and and I never liked thought balloons and rarely used thought balloons uh, but this series had a tremendous amount of that hmm. <coughs> excuse me did you, did you find so I mean so you're, yeah, obviously you're, you're working to service the amazing art that you're getting in so did you feel like in some ways this is not as representative as your as your typical voice then because you did have to kind of pull in some of your more oh, natural yeah, impulses yeah 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 completely it's not but unlike other things i could point to which i feel like was 
raped by an editor's rewrites. <laughs> I won't. I won't name names. X Men. Um, it, it wasn't that case. It wasn't a negative case at all for me. Um, it, it was. It, I. I. I, um, I very willingly and and quite happily um, accepted the responsibility of trying to write in this style, trying to script. Mostly script in the style. It didn't affect the plot that much. It really affected the script. I, I'm not going to write as many of the bombastic captions, and, and I'm certainly not going to do as many thought balloons as, in my normal writing as I as I did on this series, uh, even back then, because I didn't I didn't do thought balloons that much at all, um, and I didn't I, I I wasn't trying to mimic Stan so much as trying to um, capture the essence of Stan. Um, and I don't do that. I didn't never did that in my writing. I, I never necessarily tried to do that in my writing, other than trying to do it my own way. So if you look at the bombastic credits I would do in some of the titles, um, that that's me trying to mimic the 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 not not mimic Stan's voice, but um, try to try to duplicate Stan's tone. Stan, you know, if you look at a lot of my old writing from the early 90s, you'll, you'll, you'll notice that I'm making fun of my editor and my editor-in-chief in the <laughs> credits all the time. Um, a lot of people didn't get that, didn't notice that, but I did all the time. I, I tried to introduce the credits in X Force in a bombastic way. That's why we ended up with something like the words "Merc with a Mouth" for Daredevil, because I was trying to, I was trying to do a, 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 you know, another one I did on X Force was "In Your Face Jam." I'm like, you know, just doing all this <laughs> stuff to try to appeal to the to the, the ten to thirteen year olds who, that were the predominant audience of that particular title uh, and the and the you know 10 to 14 15 year olds who were the predominant audience of that of new warriors you know um and to me i did that because it's an anti-authoritarian tone and and if i'm making fun of the editor-in-chief or the editor in those books then the readers are gonna be in on that because it's making fun of a man it's making fun of authority you know <laughs> um that that's very similar to, to some of the things that stan was was attempting to do uh, being a, a bit of a counter-cultural approach to, to, to the stuff they were doing in the, in the mid to late sixties. Hmm. A question I had about the, I think it's only in the first issue of lifeline, but, um, where you, I guess you give yourself the nickname, the, uh, the fabulous Fabian. Um, was, did you decide on that? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I did. A standard called me the fabulous Fabian, uh, a few times in, in different, uh, in different meetings and conversations and stuff like that. I had originally one time said to him that, um, I didn't. I didn't think I should. I should be fabulous, Fabian, because there was already fabulous flow, and, and he said, "Flow won't mind. You're fabulous, Fabian, because otherwise I'll never remember your name." And I was like, "How can you forget my name, Stan?" <laughs> um, and, and, um, so, so that was fabulous, fabulous, Fabe. I think he used. The second time I ever met him or talked to him, because I, I interviewed him for a Marvel Age magazine the very first time that I ever talked to him. It was, I was on the job for two weeks and I was doing a Marvel Age article and, and Jim Salakrup, the editor, assigned me to interview Stan Lee for the cover feature of Marvel Age. And I was like, what are you kidding me? This is like my first article for you. It was my second article for him. I think I did a, 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 a Ramita Raider profile on artist Steve Geiger. And I guess that that was such scintillating prose, <laughs> such scintillating copy that he decided to give me the Stan interview. I don't know what the hell Jim was thinking. I never asked him. Um, so, so the second time I think I met Stan um, might have been in the office for meetings, 
and and he called me fabulous fade, um, and, that, and that was it. So I was good with that. He's never, you know, he's not going to remember it five minutes later. But that's what he called me in the moment. Um, so I wanted to be fabulous fade for the credits, and and Steve already came with his nickname attached. <laughs> I didn't have too much work to do on calling Steve the dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one thing I, uh, reading through Lifeline as well, as you mentioned, like it kind of, it does feel like the whole of the story, like the original 60s version kind of ends, but there is kind of questions of what happens next. And you kind of follow that up. Um, what was the kind of, I guess, the research process like of, you know, rereading it and figuring out how you, how are you going to do a sequel to this to kind of bring the pieces back in and have it make sense and have it be a good thematic sequel? Um, I, I think that I just remember, um, reading that, the 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 tablet, the tablet, I just, I remember reading it and thinking that the tablet could be a part of a whole, like we, we get all these runes and we get all these, um, all the, all these, um, uh, wall, wall carvings and things like that. And we see a part of it, but we never see we never think that the part we see today, thousands of years later, was part of a wall or part of a floor, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, it could have had a whole lot more around it. Um, so, so I think that I think that I, I, um, I, I just had the idea that what if what if it was a piece of it, a piece of something larger, and that something larger had even more information on it than what the tablet had um the interesting thing about the lifeline tablet storyline is it ran for quite a while and it wasn't really a spider-man story you know what i mean it wasn't it it, it wasn't the usual to have a bunch of mob guys going after a tablet that might have a mystical formula that could give you immortality that's kind of weird for spider-man um you know wasn't it was it was a little off and and it was like a year-long story thread you know um but but even the way it was drawn it looked like a part of a a whole it looked like a piece of something else Mm -hmm. you know um and, and and i think that looking at it as a writer rather than as a reader um i looked at it and thought thought that there's the opportunity to do more here um and 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 Weaving a mystical kind of a foundation or a MacGuffin into a Spider-Man story um, automatically means you're going to have Doctor Strange in it, which was fine, you know. Um, it, it automatically means that Spidey's going to feel a little bit like a fish out of water. So, so you ground him a bit by having, you know, a return of the characters that that, that serve as urbanish grounding uh conflict characters like boomerang and the eel and you know and marco and and kingpin um i don't remember why or how i mean i lizard was a part of the original one but i don't remember why i i I chose to bring them back especially because i don't really like the character that much i wonder if steve wanted to do lizard Hmm. um and and i i know that i wanted to to use this as an opportunity to kind of update him to 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 try to do something more visually with him, and and that was that was the only disappointment I had of the whole series. That Steve just didn't didn't want to do that. He just gave he just really half-assed that. He gave me like a bad a bad steroid version of the lizard, <laughs> <laughs> down to the same exact like same exact lab coat and pants he's wearing. You know, um, it's like this, this, Doc Connors has no other lab coat or pants but those. <laughs> um, so, so, so I, I do remember describing the lizard as something 
different and more monstrous than we'd seen before, closer to like a walking Godzilla or a slithering Godzilla. Um, and we didn't really get that out of the art. Um, so, so I, I think that uh, I think the, I'm really trying to remember if the lizard was my idea to bring him in. Um, it, it probably was, cause, um, but but I, I want to say it wasn't because I, 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 it didn't turn out great. <laughs> well, I mean, um, it, does, it does make sense thematically because you, I mean, he's the guy who created the formula in the original, and if you're going to have you know yeah. these guys buying over trying to create another version of the formula that's now more enhanced and isn't going to do to them what it did to Silverman originally, then it makes sense to bring him back. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that I'm sure that I have to take the blame. I'm sure it was my idea to bring him back. Um, but again, it was my idea to bring him back under, under the guise that I'm going to expand it, um, and, and that didn't happen. Um, I, I just um, and, and what I always do when I'm dealing in what I used to call uh, crunchy continuity goodness, um, I, I always I always go further than I should. I always I always overmire it and touches so i'm sure that the, that i had a bunch of little touches I, I know that going into like atlantean stuff and all that is just me me doing what i did at my worst which is trying to connect 76 different dots at the same time um i did it in thunderbolts all the time i love doing it but it was probably to the detriment of the storytelling uh, but <laughs> sometimes i didn't give a shit i just wanted to do it um so 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 i, I i'm looking at things like the panels where, where you're saying that the lifeline was a link to primordial times and and all these other you know characters that that, that i'm showing there is is just me trying to to tie something continuity wise to six other possible anchor points in Marvel continuity, and and that's that's probably like you know the Mark Grunwald influence in me. Uh, a part of a part of me is still still possessed by his ghost. <laughs> it's funny. I, I was about to ask. Like that's kind of like the the Grunwald influence, and I feel like I grew up on the comics that again were through that heavy continuity phase that I love the pieces that come together. I like the, the many different dots. So like when I read your work and you're connecting 67 dots, like I love that stuff. So that, that feels like it's tailor made for just my sensibility. Um, and again, because I kind of grew up through the, that kind of Grunwaldian period. Yeah. And you know, Mark was, Mark was third generation Marvel, um, and I'm fourth generation Marvel, um, and and we we were we had tremendous respect for what we liked about it, and but maybe me a little more so than him had had a, a an ability to also step back or look at it from a slightly hotter point of view like looking down on it not as opposed to being in, as opposed to like being in the pool throwing splashing water all around you're like the lifeguard sitting on the tower looking down at the pool you know <laughs> um you see everything there but you're you're gonna be very cautious about getting in the water yourself so i, I like to try to play with continuity and do that kind of stuff because I loved it, but I I didn't want to I didn't want it to be the story, or I didn't want it to, to you know to be the the only thing that comes out of the story. Hmm. And and some guys, second generation, seem to just 
want to do it in order in order to have that be their reason to have the story. Third generation seem to want to want to do it out of out of sheer awe of respect of of what that was. And I came into it with a little more cynicism, probably because I'm post early '80s darkening of comics, you know, um, post Miller, post you know, um, po- uh, post Daredevil, post Batman, post Watchmen. Um, so, so you're looking at it with 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 a slightly um, the ability to not slightly different lenses, but the ability to maybe flip one one lens down over over your eye, one eye, and it's a darker one, so you can see different shades of everything. Um, and and that's that's how I tried to approach it. So Mark, Mark was always quite a bit more optimistic and goofy about that stuff. You'd never catch Fabian writing Cap Wolf, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but Mark reveled in it. Mark dove into it. If he got to do, if he got to do a '60s DC-based story at Marvel, he 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 pushed people out of the way to get there. You know, um, and I and I didn't do that. But but I, I definitely liked uh, being too coy for my own good. I, I definitely <laughs> liked thinking I was too clever for my own good by by trying to connect multiple dots on continuity stuff uh and usually when i've done it there's a group of fans that love it and i get that but but it's usually been to the detriment of the story (laughs) (laughs) it certainly was on thunderbolts when i did it it's it's i did an entire x-men miniseries x-men forever which was just a disaster because i was trying to basically solve every lingering unsolved thing in the x universe which is absurd um, because it would have had to have been an, a 600 issue miniseries in order to do that. Um, so, so, so sometimes I look at things like Lifeline and I shrug my shoulders and I go, "Hey, you know, you're just an idiot, Fabe." <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because if we look at ex- what you're what you're working on and writing at the exact time that Lifeline was being published, I mean, as you mentioned, you have Thunderbolts during the ramp up to issue 50 at the exact same time. You have uh, X Men Forever actually running at the same time as well. So, how did you balance those? Oh, was that all of that was coming out at the same time? The exact same time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So how do you how do you balance that in your head? Because I mean they're so different and um, and again very continuity heavy. Well, especially X Men Forever. And so you're kind of doing this all around the same time. How do you manage each project mentally? I'm always curious how people can manage projects when the they're either very different from each other or very similar, and how they can kind of make one each distinct entity and, and somehow still pull it off. You know, I'm I I don't even remember them all being at the same time. X Men Forever may have come out mm. at that time but because kevin is slower I, I i'm sure that i was working on it quite a bit earlier than that you know yeah um, um i don't even remember when we started that when you told me issue 50 of thunderbolts was coming out in 2001 or whatever i'm i was surprised that it was that soon because i don't remember when i started thunderbolts i know it was issue 34 just don't remember what year that was it must have been 99 then yeah. um i um i i, I I never really had a hard time juggling different tones in different books because usually I was writing when I was writing multiple books for Marvel. Um, usually, the characters and the tones of each book were dissimilar enough that it was very easy for me to slide from one to the next. Um, X Men Forever is a completely different 
kind of story than Thunderbolts was and, and certainly than Lifeline was. Um, X-Men Forever, I, I was not only had a, I had hundreds of comics and, and printouts from the internet spread out on my office floor. I remember that at home and I had to keep referring to stuff back and forth like crazy. Um, and I also had a lot of, um, full issue photocopies in black and white that Marvel sent me. This was before PDFs and all that. Um, mm. because of the, I didn't really have any X books that Marvel had done from like 2000, uh, 1996 or so, 1995, 96 until I'd started writing X-Men forever. I really wasn't, reading the X stuff. I wasn't following any of it. So a lot of stuff that happened in X Factor that was tying into X-Men Forever, I didn't even have the issues. And I was doing all these important story uh, links. Um, so, so I was also doing the layouts, the rough layouts for X-Men Forever in order to try to uh, maybe help cut some of Kevin's time down. I was doing eight and a half by 11 panel breakdowns with rough rough stick figures um, in each panel to really give Kevin an idea of what I was looking for um, and and hopefully he could follow the layout and that would save him X amount of time per page. Um, so, so that was a much more heavily involved book for me. If I'm doing Thunderbolts uh, and I'm already 16 issues into my run, uh, Mark and I, Mark Bagley and I had such a shorthand with each other that I could cheat a tremendous amount on Thunderbolts. Uh, my, my plots could be really really skimpy because I know more, I know that Mark is going to know what to do and what I need to do. And then I know that I can dialogue to his storytelling because his storytelling is always freaking flawless and, and, and get what I need out of the script. So I'm sure in the run up to 50, even though we had a lot of characters and a lot of things going on, I had such a comfortable control of, of what I was doing on that book and the working relationship that I didn't need to sweat it that much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so each book is a little bit different and, and rude is a very different working experience and, and, and his engagement and involvement actually in the plot structure, it helps ease my, my burden. So, you know, it's it's not as much work, quite honestly, to, to plot a lifeline issue because Steve is is, is engaged heavily in, in 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 figuring a lot of that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't think it, I don't recall it being any way, shape, or form stressful because I was also a full time freelance writer at that point, so I'm working out of home. Um, Back in the day, I was writing six books a month, and I was working a full-time job at Marvel, and I had a commute from Jersey to New York City. <laughs> so wow. that that was stress. Let me tell you that that was that was very difficult to do, um, and it really beat me up over the course of time. But in the early aughts, I'd already been a professional writer for fifteen years for Marvel, uh, roughly, and 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 I had a much more comfortable, confident sense. Of, of what needed to what I needed to do in order to get uh, what needed to be done finished, you know. Um, so 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 I don't I don't recall that time period. Even to the surprise of you telling me all three were coming out at the same time, I certainly don't recall that time period as being particularly stressful or, or, or difficult. When you when you talk about X Men Forever, obviously you, you don't seem to be that excited about how it worked out. Is there any specific reason? Why are things that you think that didn't work in it? I mean, I, I will admit it's been years since I read it, but I don't remember not enjoying it. 
Um, I actually just reread it a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a while because uh, I'm, I'm working on something for Marvel, um, percolating at the, their request something, so I needed to look at some stuff in that series for one of the characters. Um, it, it, I think it, it very, very perfectly managed to fulfill its obligations, but I don't think it was as inspired as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's on me, not on Kevin um, or the characters. I just, you know, I, I think that um, I, I think that Mark Powers, the editor, and I had discussed doing a kind of story that was going to be revelatory and solving a lot of mysteries. But the problem with that is it was it was emotionally unattached from the original mysteries. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't the writer of those original storylines. Most of them, I, wa- I wasn't a reader of those original storylines. Most of them, so the the revelations of some of these answers to some of these mysteries w- was was emotionally disengaged from the reading experience of the monthly books. Mm. You know, um, so so ultimately, I, I kind of look at it a little bit as. Um, it's it's almost uh, it's almost a tutorial in nature. Like it's an ex it's an ex continuity tutorial, but it's not a story that that I felt was emotionally engaging. And and the best story the best story should emotionally engage you, but certainly the best X Men story should. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't think that it did that. So once again, that's all on me. It's not on the art. Um, and and that, I mean that's how I look at it in hindsight. Gotcha. Um, now, again, we spoke about, you know, you were doing Thunderbolts at this time and again doing the lead up to 50. So 50 has been always been one of my favorite comics. I just thought it was so well put together and really exciting. And at the end, when you have Hawkeye, you know, the I think the narration is saying, you know, it was an impossible shot. And just the whole kind of soliloquy about that and him turning himself in, I've always thought was kind of perfect um what was it like crafting the conclusion to uh, at that point a year and a half worth of story where you had all these different kind of threads coming together for this big climactic ending it was uh as with almost everything on that book in my experience with it it was sheer joy um it was a lot of fun to to be able to work on that book with those artists uh, and those characters, um, and I and you know I loved I loved the premise of the entire book from the very beginning. The curtain market had worked on. I'd been reading almost all of those characters since since the sixties or seventies. You know, I had a tremendous fondness for what it was. Um, when you have long term plans and, and they come together. Smoothly, that that's that's often kind of rare <laughs> in in long form storytelling. Um, so when it happens, you appreciate it. Um, I, I don't remember appreciating it at the time as much because Mark was leaving, and we had new artists coming in, and I had to basically keep the ball rolling with a whole new kind of storyline and stuff like that um so so i don't think i appreciate it as much as it was happening which you rarely do with monthly comics um the appreciation usually comes 
when you look back on it and, and, and when you think back on, on what it meant. My problem is that as far as my own writing is concerned, I, I don't go to the basement and grab my old comics. I, I, I'll look through things if they trade paperback them. Um, and, and then I'll reread it. Um, unfortunately, Marvel has chosen not to reprint that, that Thunderbolt stuff. Um, I wish they would, mostly because I want to read it. <laughs> and uh, it'd be nice if they would do that just so that I could read my own books. Um, so I don't think I've reread issue 50 for quite a long time um, since, since I was writing Thunderbolts and would have to refer back to stuff that, that might have been the last time I reread it. And that was, you know, how long ago was that? 10, 15 years, 15 years ago at least. Yeah. Um, so, 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 you know, I haven't reread 50 in a long, long time. Um, I recently uh, and I reread the, the the Gromit issues that they that they reprint that they did a trade paperback of you know um, and, and I, I enjoyed the Living Daylights out of it. It's really rude to read your own writing and really enjoy it. And I don't <laughs> often, but anytime I re- anytime I reread Thunderbolts, I enjoy it. And I shrug my shoulders and go to hell with it. Sorry, I thought it was really freaking good. Um, and, and I feel the same way when I re- when I reread New Warrior stuff. I go, what? Tough luck. It was a really really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, with wh- why do why do you think they haven't rep- reprinted some of that that Thunderbolt stuff? Because it was such a, a I would say beloved book. I I actually have no idea. Maybe the trades that they have done haven't sold as well. Um, may, maybe they they don't think that the the material tonally works for what they're publishing now. I, I really don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I've never asked. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I often don't even know they're reprinting something till I, they mail me one, and then I go, "Oh, they reprinted that. <laughs> cool." <laughs> um, that, that, that honestly, that happens like ninety percent of the time. I, I knew that they were. Um, I knew that they were redoing. Uh, that they were finally going to collect the Adventures of Captain America miniseries I did with Kevin McGuire. Mm. Um, because somebody at Marvel notified me saying that, that do you have any do you have such and such extra stuff from back then? It was the answer was no, I certainly don't. Um, but but that's how I knew they were finally going to re, reprint it for the first time, not reprint it for, for the first time. They were going to print it as a trade paperback. Um, I didn't know they were going to do it as part of a collection with other stuff. But I just shrugged my shoulders and and and, and was happy that it got you know printed and collected at all. You know, mm-hmm. I should um, I should so point no, out. I don't, I, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I really don't because it, you know because it, it, it's it's kind of above my pay grade now. It's not something I'm. If I were working nine to five at Marvel, I'd be interested in the whys and wherefores. But I'm not, so it doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. I just checked because I, I I kind of scratched an itch in my brain. So issue fifty of up to issue fifty of Thunderbolts has been collected um, in the thicker Hawkeye and the Thunderbolts uh, trade paperback. So volume two did collect up to issue fifty. So it is. Did it really? Yeah. So it is. So you. I don't even know if I ever got that trade paperback. I don't know if they ever sent it to me. Oh, well. there were two volumes of Hawkeye and the Thunderbolts. Yeah, there was two volumes. I thought I, there was only one. I, I I know I got one, but it didn't go all the way up to fifty. Huh. Yeah, the volume okay. one went up to issue thirty-seven, so just started your run. But uh, issues thirty-eight to fifty are in the second volume, as well as the uh, four issues of, of Avengers that it crossed over with at that time. Holy crap! So it, it, yeah, and I got those. I got the Avengers issue crossovers in an Avengers hardcover that they sent me <laughs> years ago, years and years ago. So I got. You know what? I may have to find out about that because I, I would like to have a copy of that. 
I, I'm always curious if they're ever going to collect. I mean, I don't. Who knows? But I mean, I, I was at least happy that they, because for years they just had you know Thunderbolts Classic, and then they just kind of stopped, and then finally they yeah. had these Hawkeye and the Thunderbolts, which. For, from an OCD perspective, I wish it was just volumes four and five, but I understand that volume one of something always sells better than volume four, so I get it. Um, yeah, plus they were trying to capitalize on Hawkeye being a more visible character as a result of the Avengers movie. Exactly. And, and also as a result of the, fra- the Fraction in uh, and, uh, David Aham um, comic book that they were doing. Absolutely. So I'm always curious that they were going to collect, you know, 51 to 75 and then onwards i mean that'd be nice i mean i have all those issues anyway but just like you i'd like to have it on a shelf because it's a little bit easier to pull it off and read it yeah i don't know if they ever will i don't think joe cassetta liked that book that much <laughs> it, was, it was too old school <laughs> so maybe maybe they won't collect it <laughs> i don't know if i've ever asked this of you before in our last conversations but um what was behind the decision to make the book into uh coming out twice and have the kind of parallel storylines Oh, that was me. Um, that was all me. That that was me just trying to to, to uh, generate more work, create more work, crossing uh, cool. That's all. Um, I, I um, Tom was Tom was Tom was Brevoort was all for it because it was different, and and, and um, it, it was it was a situation where I had too many characters that I was too coy about. I didn't want to let go of any of them. So I decided to not let go of any of them, and the only way to do that was to create a, a complex storyline like that. Two different storylines going on with the team, um, and and because because the idea was to try to generate more revenue out of the out of a title, it was a solid seller, but not a spectacular seller. Um, if you can generate more revenue out of a title like that, then then it, it's it's okay for the company, you know. Um, it was enough skin off the company's nose, um, so so they were willing to do it. Um, it also led to them, I think, deciding I shouldn't be writing the book anymore and, and, and giving that other new editor kid the okay to do fight bolts um, yeah. b- because they felt that I had no control over my story. If I'm going to do this, then I have no control over, over my writing. And it was the exact opposite, quite honestly. I was doing it because I wanted to have tremendous control over my writing. Um, so so I'm pretty sure that that... that that entire storyline kind of kind of greased the skids for them deciding to fire me the first time. So then, how does how does the book come back? Like, how, like I mean, after that happens in uh, Fight Bolt, that's a whole other uh, um, ball of wax, I guess. But um, you know, obviously, they, well, then, uh, they then have the Avengers Thunderbolts miniseries, which is six issues, which slots in nicely to pretend that issues seventy six of eighty one don't exist on their own, and then you have new Thunderbolts yeah, taken over well, from it. It's not that the fight bolts is a whole other conversation. The the fight bolts is the conversation. Mm. It, it was so incredibly poorly received, sold so incredibly poorly, um, and and that editor ended up really, really just blowing himself up really quickly because the way he handles his job as a young editor was almost like textbook. Um, every mistake you can make at trying to be a new editor. Um, and I saw it coming a mile away. I know I know people who still call him the worst editor they ever had in their lives. Um, and and I um and the result of that is is what made it easier for Tom Brevoort to say I'd like to relaunch it. I want to relaunch it, or I want to give it a chance to end it with respect 
and and that's how he got Kurt to to buy into doing it, and, and they they asked me to co-write it with him. But you know, it was a lot of it was Kurt driving that boat more than me. Um, I was a very very helpful shipmate, but I think Kurt was driving the the Avengers Thunderbolts miniseries a little bit more. Um, but that's okay. I was all right with that because you know, getting to work, I like working with Kurt a lot. Uh, I like getting the chance geez to work with Barry Kitson, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's all good with me. I, I, I was good with that. Um, and, and I didn't know that we were going to get a new title to spin off of it, but the sales were strong enough that they agreed to do it. Um, so, so it was fun cause it was a new life. You don't often get a second chance at a book you got fired from. Um, my, I hope that one day I can write Thunderbolts again. Cause my goal is with either Thunderbolts or with Tim Drake, uh, at DC, my goal is to get a chance to get fired for a third time. <laughs> I didn't get fired. That's not fair. I didn't get fired either time from from Tim Drake. I knew the book was the Robin book was ending the first time, and then we got New Fifty Two the second time. So technically, I've never been fired from Red Robin or Robin. Um, I definitely have been fired twice from Thunderbolt. So I'm hoping to get to write that one again, so I can get fired for a third time. Uh, not not to put a too fine a point on it, but like how how did your departure the second time really happened because I mean, it did feel like it kind of crested over a certain point where it felt almost natural. Like you had kind of an ending point of some kind, but you know, it was definitely jarring because then the next issue they take in a completely different direction, which really has nothing to do with what Thunderbolts had always been up until that point. So what was, what was that like? Or, and I, again, you don't, have um, to, you don't have to they, say, but yeah, no, the first time was, the first time was in, it was infuriating. The second time wasn't. I'd had a really nice long run in the book. I'd written the book for about seventy-five issues in one incarnation or another, um, and 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 I'd done I'd done. It's not that I'd exhausted myself on it, but but I'd done a lot with it. And and and, and when Tom called me up to tell me that it, it had been decided um, that that they were going to take Thunderbolts in a new direction. Uh, my first thought was, oh, we're going to have another Fight Bolts book? Um, <laughs> and they told me that they were going to bring in Warren Ellis to write the book. And I was like, okay, Warren's a freaking, you know, award-winning big-time writer, and he's cool as hell, and he'll do something cool, and it won't be Thunderbolts, but it'll be Warren Ellis cool. So, okay, whatever, you know. I, I'm a professional. I've been writing for 20 years by that point, you know. Um, and, and I've been a staff employee at Marvel for 10 years. I, I, I still, I get, I get how things work i uh, i don't have a problem with me getting booted when things are working the way they should and and deciding to to shake up a book by bringing in talent gornos and mighty adato and bringing in new characters with a couple holdovers that's a completely legitimate thing to do with a monthly title it's it's not only a completely legitimate thing to do; it's the kind of thing you have to do mm. with a monthly title uh, on a semi regular basis in order to keep it interesting. Because we're pub, you know, we're making sausages every month. Sometimes you got to change the recipe in the sausage, or else your your audience is going to get lose interest, or you're not going to get new people who might want to try this try a sausage. You know, mm-hmm. um, when you do it with something like fight bolts, you're doing it badly. Okay, when you're doing it with something like like uh, like Alison Diodato's Thunderbolts, you're doing it well. So so there's no, I have no issue with it. You know, I, I I don't think Warren Warren has never understood the Marvel universe or Marvel characters. He, you know, but that's okay. The, the, you hire him because he doesn't. 
Mm. And, and and not a single character is going to be in character, but damn, they're all going to be cool, you know. <laughs> so that that's what you do. And, and I, look, if I was an editor and that was presented to me as an option, I'd be booting my ass out the door too, you know, because I I get it, I, I totally get it. I have no issues with that at all. It, it, it was okay. For better or for worse, I mean, so obviously, I mean, those are two examples of for better and for worse. I mean, obviously, Fight Bolts being on the worse end and Alice being on the better end. But do you appreciate it more when you are removed from a book that the next creative team is doing something drastically different as opposed to just being the same? Because at least you're like, well, okay, I get why they needed to Uh, shake this up. No, no, I don't don't care. They're wrong either either way for getting rid of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I don't care. I didn't read the Ellis Diodato Thunderbolts for over 10 years. Uh, I read a trade paperback of that stuff over 10 years after it was published. Um, I never read, I never read or pay attention to a book after I've quit it or been fired from it for a long, long time. I, I will eventually look at it if it was well received or if it was poorly received because I'm curious either way. Um, but, but, but I don't, I don't read it the next month. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I've ever read a single issue um, the month after I was I was off a book, whether I quit it or whether I was fired. Mm. Um, so, so you know, it, it makes no difference to me at all, one way or the other, whether it's good or not, or, or well received or not. At that time, it makes sense. I mean, you just spend a lot of time. You, just, you know, it's like a relationship. You're getting out of a long term relationship. You don't need to go see them right away with someone else. I need to go see my ex-girlfriend, you know, go dating another guy. That's crazy. That's masochistic. I don't, and, and nine times out of 10, after it happens, I got other stuff going on. I, I've already, by the time the books have come out, it's already been a few months. I already got other assignments. I already, I got other gigs. I got other things I'm doing. So I'm focusing on that. I, I, I don't, I've never really, I've been a working writer for, for 30 years and, and that means that I'm either looking for work or I'm doing work. I'm, mm. I'm rarely ever paying attention to the work I did. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. So when you did finally read Ellis's Thunderbolts, what was that experience like 10 years removed? Oh, it was really cool. I love Diodato's art. I, I, I think he's great. Uh, um, Warren's it was a really cool book it just wasn't Thunderbolts that's all Mm -hmm. what it was it just wasn't Thunderbolts because for me without the redemptive quality inherent in the DNA of the book um, then it's not then it's not the book it's just something that has the trademark so you know, the, they've done Thunderbolts with Punisher and Deadpool and Elektra in it, and they've done Thunderbolts with with Warren Olsen, Norman Osborn. None of that to me is Thunderbolts. It's just it's just a perpetuation of the trademark, and the stories within that trademark perpetuation vary. You know, um, and I've heard like you know, I know that the Jeff Parker did a long run on Thunderbolts, and, it, it, and a lot of the original Thunderbolts fans really enjoyed it. I haven't read any of those. Um, because they haven't been collected, uh, I wouldn't mind it if they were. Um, uh, but but that to me is thunderbolts because it, I think it went back to to the notion of of these characters trying to figure out a way to redeem themselves for who they've been and what they've done. Um, and 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 that that's the crux of the book to me. And if it doesn't have that, then it's not really the book. Um, and and Warren Warren wasn't writing thunderbolts, um, you know. He was writing. He was writing Suicide Squad. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, very much so. 
Like, I'm surprised DC didn't call them up with, like, cease and desist. Yeah, no, and look, they probably didn't because it was cool. Warren writes cool stuff. <laughs> so even DC goes, oh, you know what? It's really cool. We better, let's just leave him alone and let him do it. Maybe maybe he'll be bored and decide to do Suicide Squad for us someday. <laughs> Uh, before before we let you go, I'm just curious. Uh, something much more more recent and more modern. Um, what was it like working, I guess, with Scott on Nightwing? And that's Scott Lobdell that I'm referring to. Um, it, it, it was uh, it was an indescribably painful few months. Okay. Um, as with working, and it has nothing to do with Scott really. Uh, I, I know what I'm getting when I work with Scott, and, and what I'm getting is a lot of entertainment. Um, but uh, but um, the process of working on anything with DC, any time I've done so over the last few years, has never been an easy or comfortable process. Um, so, so ultimately, working on Nightwing was was you know just a few months of an assignment that I got out of as quickly as I was able to get out of it. Um, and, and I actually quit, quit the assignment after my first issue and, and you know, the editors who are these are people I've known for years and worked with on and off for years. So, you know, there's relationships there too. And, and if they kind of ask you to, to, to stay, you have to respect that just as much as if they ask you to go. <laughs> you have to respect that too because that's their job. Mm-hmm. So I quit after my first issue because I was I knew it was going to be such a dissatisfying experience. Um, but they asked me to stay, so I decided to stay through the end of the first arc. Um, and they asked me to stay for another couple issues, and I said no because I was done. I was done. I, you know, it, uh, Dick Grayson is my favorite character in comics, and I have zero. I had zero issues with the memory loss storyline. I, I think it's as interesting an opportunity as any other storyline that you need to do in monthly books to keep those sausages coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a problem with how it was being executed, and I had a problem with how DC's editorial systems operate, which often get in the way of the execution of the material. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so well, you know, ultimately... My leaving is I, I, I'm too old and I've done this too long to to want to work on things that are not enjoyable to work on. That's fair. You've definitely worked long enough and, as you said, in the business to be able to kind of make those choices. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't need to. I don't need to write, I don't need to script a comic book off of Scott's plots at DC. It's not, it's not part of the, it's not part of the monthly requirement for me to live you know <laughs> it doesn't pay enough and and it doesn't provide emotional satisfaction so why do it you know um i, I originally accepted it because scott asked me and and, and more importantly I, I knew that almost none of them involved really had much of a clue at all who dick grayson is so i was thinking that maybe i should say yes so that that some thread of Dick Grayson will actually be in this book mm-hmm. um, because I had so little faith in, in, in the people who, who, who are at DC and who are working on this book on a monthly basis to, to, to get 
to to get Dick Grayson right, even if Dick Grayson doesn't know he's Dick Grayson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that that's really why I was doing it. I was doing it honestly more for Dick Grayson, a character that I've loved since I was six years old, that, than I was for the paycheck or for the assignment or for anything like that. Hmm. Last question, I guess, before we let you run away, is uh, what what are you currently working on that we can talk about? Uh, Outrage Season 2 on Webtoon, which is a digital comic I do with Riley Brown, uh, is being worked on now. Uh, we should, it should launch sometime in the fall. Um, we, we, we want to get a bunch of chapters in the can before we launch because uh, a weekly, a weekly public, a weekly delivery schedule on the, uh, on the digital platform eats up your chapters really fast if you don't have a lot in the can. Um, so, so we're working on that now. Um, I am uh, working on a uh, mini series, a limited series from Marvel, which I can't talk about uh, because it may not even be real. Who knows? We're just in the in the proposal stage, outline stage now. Um, they asked me if I'd be interested in working on something with this character, and it, it's a character I like a lot. So I said yes, but it's not real yet. It's still. It's still in the in the finagling stages. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I I just uh, finished the, the outline for a pilot script for an animated series uh, with an animation company out in LA, which is based on the Stan Lee um, project conception. Uh, I've done a couple things with this company before that, that are based on Stan Lee things. Uh, this is uh, called Superhero Kindergarten, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is currently attached to provide the voice of the main character. Um, oh, cool. And they're currently shop- they're currently shopping the pilot outline now uh, to try to to try to get financing to make the animated series. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It's 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 a cartoon aimed at four to six year old kids, so that's a great different audience. Absolutely. Um, and I finished my first novel, and I have an agent uh, and an agency that is uh, looking to uh, to present it to publishers and to television production companies at the same time. Uh, that 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 whole process, writing the book, is a two year process, and the process of trying to sell it could be forever or for never. I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll 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 know soon. But they they have the manuscript in hand, and they're they're starting to. They're starting to do the work to try to sell it now, and and if it sells, if I'm able to sell it, I, I would be very very happy. Uh, the next ten years of my life being writing a book every year or two that would be fun, um, because I really enjoyed the process quite a bit. It's the first time I ever finished a, a prose novel from start to finish, um, and, and uh, I had, there were a couple interruptions and hiccups. I wasn't doing it full time; I was doing it in between a bunch of other things, so it took time to get done. Uh, and then I learned, much to my chagrin, that writing a book requires a tremendous amount of rewriting. And I hate rewriting, so I had to learn how to rewrite. <laughs> um, and not only once, I had to learn how to rewrite it like seven times from, from the start to finish and cut like a hundred pages out of the manuscript. And it was a great learning experience and a lot of fun. And I think that if, if I get a chance to do a second one, it, uh, I'll know a lot better what I have to do and how I have to do it. Hmm. Um, but the first one was tremendous fun, so I hope I get to do more. It's interesting because it obviously sounds like you're, you know, you're, 
even though you've been in the comic book industry for so long, like you are still finding avenues to push yourself and try new things and keep yourself fresh and excited about the material, uh, whether it be, as you said, a novel or working on you know a pilot script or working on a comic. Like You're keeping yourself so engaged that you're still so invested in the work because you get to do so many different types of things, which is nice to have that option. Yeah, I've always honestly, I've, I've I've been this I've been this since the uh, since the early two thousands. Um, I I, um, I I I'd written so many comics in such a short period of time, which might have been a detriment to me, both as a writer and to how I'm perceived in the industry. Um, I made an active decision in the in the early two thousands that I had to um, I had to do different kinds of war because I drive myself crazy if I was only doing comics and I don't it, it, I'd quickly be out of work if I was only doing comics hmm. um, because you know very few writers can earn a living writing just comics over the course of 30 40 years of their lives um, so so I, I started doing different things way back then I, I do intellectual property management with a company in New York I, I do video game script work and and I and um, I have done I was a Chief Creative Officer of a, a kids sports theme virtual world for uh, one of the founders of the company, and that was like three, four years uh, uh, of my life where I was focusing almost mainly on that. The comics have have actually only been at most uh, a, a quarter of my yearly bucket, you know, um, and that's at most. Sometimes it's been it's been a fifth. Um, and then it still is to this day. I, I don't. I just don't have that much of an interest in in focusing solely on, on on grinding out comic books or pitches or proposals for companies and all that stuff. I, I'm much more interested in trying different things and, and new things. Uh, any chance I get, uh, it, I think it just it keeps it keeps me vibrant. After writing as long as I have, it keeps me interested. You know, because mm-hmm. um, the honest truth is, I should never have been a freelance professional writer uh, i always should have been an office guy um you know running a company or or being in, in an important position of of uh, of administrative engagement in a company um and it, it just for multiple reasons it just it didn't work out that way uh either in comics or in other industries um so so i've been a professional writer but it hasn't really been my preference for about 20 something years um so in order to in order to keep myself going i have to keep myself going um so so i i i'm all, I'm, I'm turning 58 this year and i, I imagine uh, i i'm gonna continue to have to do that for you know another another five years or so and then hopefully i can just write whatever the hell i feel like writing and not even worry about whether it sells or not you know absolutely Last question. I said that I already asked the last question. I'm going to ask one more just because we've been talking about this today. Um, is there any particular work of yours that has never been collected that you wish would be? Hasn't been collected that I wish would be? Correct. Um, that's an interesting question. I wouldn't mind if, 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 if all of my new Warriors work was collected. Uh, it hasn't been. Um, I, I wouldn't mind if... Uh, the Troublemakers book I had done at Acclaim were collected mm-hmm. uh, at least the first year because I think that I did some really, really interesting, fun stories uh, with, with kid and teen characters. Um, 
actually more in the first year because the second year did some a couple hard hitting stories about school gun violence and, and teen sex and this was all in 1996 you know 97 <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't mind if trouble were collected um what else? Cable and Deadpool's collected and sells like crazy every single time they re-release it. I wouldn't mind if my Thunderbolts were collected, and I probably wouldn't mind if 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 my Red Robin run, my one year of Red Robin, uh, I think it was issue thirteen through issue twenty five or something. That hmm. they had done a couple trade paperbacks, so I guess I don't know if all of them were collected in trade paperbacks. Maybe they they have been, but I wouldn't mind a single volume that had all of it in it. Yeah. Um, I, I mostly for my own shelf. I, I don't care about the readers anymore, Adam. I just I don't care. I just want it for my shelf, man. Yeah. I just want my my Fabian Iniesta collected Tim Drake stories to be on my shelf. That's all. That's that's perfectly reasonable. Is that selfish? Is that selfish of me to want to to want a publishing company to just cater to me and print one book of a book, one copy of one book for me? I mean, I guess, I mean, not you'd have to do work, but I mean, I guess you could take all the original singles and get them bound, custom. People do that. I probably, sometimes I don't even have a clue whether I have all the original singles or not in my basement. I don't, I don't venture into the basement that often. It's kind of scary. So <laughs> I don't even know if I have them all still. <laughs> Too funny. Well, Fabian, thank you so much for spending so much of your time with me today and for talking not just about Lifeline, but again, other things that you're working on in the early 2000s, as well as uh, what you're doing now. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Adam. It's always good to be with you. You're, you've got a really good show, you do. Um, and, and I'll be more than happy to come back again in a couple of years. Maybe we'll have some more fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll probably grab some random book that you worked on 18 years ago and make sure to make you reread it again. <laughs> As long as it's not an upper <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Adam. Take care.